spent some time going through and showing that Satan is the author of conspiracy, that the first conspiracy started when he was raised up in vanity and pride and thought that he could take over the throne of God. And he seduced one-third of the angels to follow him. I am sure that he probably talked to Gabriel and Michael as well and tried to get them to go with him, but that didn't happen. And they have been at odds ever since. But he is the great conspirator of the universe. And today, I think it is going to become quite obvious that he also is conspiring uh, not only to take over the earth, but once again to try to take over the heavens. We can see that in Revelation 12, verse 7. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. This last time they get cast out is the last time they will go there. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God. This is not something that was done thousands of years ago. It is something that will shortly be done. Herbert Armstrong believed that, because every time it seemed there was huge trouble in the church, he would say, I think Satan's been cast down. I remember hearing him say that, I don't know how many times, but over the years, several different times. Uh, perhaps he said it when Loma died, I don't remember. Uh, I know he said it when the uh, state of California came into the church. Uh, he said it many, many different times that I can remember, because he was just overwhelmed by the events that were occurring within the church or in the world, and he would say, maybe Satan has been cast down. So he did not look upon Revelation 12 as something that is ancient history. He looked upon it as something that is imminent. I believe Satan is still going before God's throne to this day, accusing the brethren. That's what he goes there for and is allowed to do. It says, For now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And this entire context is an end-time context. In fact, this whole book is an end-time book. We will go through Revelation 12 uh, some weeks from now, whenever I get to it, because I want to show some fallacies in this chapter uh, of our past thinking and show that it is all dealing with today not something that happened a long time ago, although there may be a parallel fulfillment that occurred through history, and part of it reaches back into history, but it is all brought forward in a final fulfillment. And that I want to clearly show, because it makes a huge difference on how we view what is about to happen in the world and what is about to happen in the church. It is a critical understanding. At any rate, Satan conspired originally, and there is coming a time when he will again wage war in heaven against God and be cast down to the earth and come after God's people because he will have everyone else under control by then. We will be the only ones who do not march to the tune or to the beat of his drum, to the tune of his cornet for that matter, whatever. 
or maybe to his steel guitar. Then I showed you uh, many different places which show that there have been conspiracies among men, conspiracies in Israel to take over kingships, conspiracies in the world to rule the world, Alexander the Great, uh, any empire you want to name had world rule in mind, whether it was Hitler, whether it was uh, Napoleon, any of these people who were seeking to build empires conspired to do so with their friends, with their families, with their neighbors, with other kings and rulers to try to rule the world. So anything that happens here at the end is not without great precedence. It's happened before, and it's going to happen again. In fact, as I stand here and speak, there is a conspiracy to rule the world. We will get into that a little bit later on. But we need to understand that there are, and always have been, conspiracies. Why should it seem strange, and people will not believe that there is such a thing today? I mean, it has always been the history of mankind. Why is it so hard to accept today? I think more and more people are beginning to accept it as it becomes more and more apparent that there is a one world order, a new world order, trying to take over with its various ramifications. I know people who said there are no black helicopters who now are beginning to say there is a conspiracy. I know people are beginning, slowly, finally, here and there, to wake up and realize something is going on. So maybe I'm preaching to the choir here. Uh, most everybody understands and knows what I'm talking about. But this tape doesn't just go to us. It has possibilities of going a lot of different places. And therefore, I feel it is important to explain, and maybe for some of us even to really get it. All right, we also in this series at the beginning discussed the woman of Revelation 17 and 18, the great harlot, and I think showed a great deal of evidence that that can only fit one entity here at the end. Now, Consider the possibility that maybe there's a hundred or a thousand years left before the end comes, and therefore what we see on the stage today is not what will be the end-time configuration. But I don't think any of us believe that. If this is all going to come down and with, let's say, within one to twenty years, which I certainly believe, and twenty is on the outside of my credible belief, if it happens that soon, then what is shaping up on the earth almost has to be the end time stage, and all the players have to be being groomed and prepared and dressed for the production right now. Whether it takes one or 15 or 20 years, they still have to be groomed and prepared. And if we look at the world today, the only one that fits the description of Revelation 17, 18, and Ezekiel 16, and Hosea 1, and other scriptures, is America with her Israelite daughters. I think that is abundantly clear by now. All right, then. Let's go to Revelation 13 and see what is about to happen here. Chapter 12, 
is about the church being taken to safety. We'll explore that more later, but right now I want to continue to identify who might or might not be these end-time players. I think we have the pigeonhole made for the great whore. That's American-led Israel. And I stood upon the sand of the sea. Now, what is that? John is writing from the perspective of what? The church. This whole book is addressed to the church, I repeat. How did God say Israel would become? As the sand of the sea. So I would take it, whether that is a direct parallel or not, that John is speaking from the perspective of church membership and within Israel, for that matter. He stood upon the sand of the sea, and he saw a beast arising out of the sea. Now, we can see in chapter 17 that this is explained, what the sea is for sure. Uh, verse 15 of chapter 17, he said to me, The waters which you saw where the whore sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So the waters or the sea, symbolically here, as explained by Revelation itself, are many, many, many peoples. Uh, waters that cover the earth. So this beast rise up, rises up from among many, many peoples. It is not a small, isolated thing, but it is worldwide in size and worldwide in influence. We'll see that more and more as we go through this. So it rises from among the peoples which are represented by the waters. Now the waters of the sea cover most of the earth. And we identify seven oceans. So it may be that these seven heads represent all the earth's peoples, for that matter or almost all. It doesn't mention the land. We'll get to that later. But this one rose from among a multitude of peoples, having seven heads and ten horns, upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So here are seven heads, and among them are scattered seven horns. And each one of those horns has a crown on it. And they represent everything evil, foul, and blasphemous in terms of belief and practice. Because it isn't some evil that might be on their clothes. It isn't a little bit of evil that might be on their hands and needs washed off. It's right there on their heads. They represent evil, foulness, sin. Now, do these represent a world divided into ten pieces. We'll get to that a little more. But let's go in general for the moment. The beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So this beast, however big it might be, and whatever else it, all it might represent, it gets its strength and its power from Satan. 
We are to flee Satan, to resist the devil and draw near to God, and he will flee from us. But he is going to attack God's people. We're going to see that. It is an attack that will occur. Who does Satan go after when he is cast down? God's people. Now, when I read verse 2 here, it will remind you of Daniel 2, Daniel 7, and we will get to those, and perhaps get a little more description. And I saw one of his heads, as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Somewhere along the line, someone who has to do with this beast, who is important to it, one of the heads, is wounded, and it apparently would be a mortal wound, something that would completely destroy the power, the effectiveness, the life of that head. And yet, it was healed. And perhaps that healing is part of what creates the aura, the mystique of wonderful about this beast. Because it will appear supernatural. It was a mortal wound that was healed. You expected whoever this was to die. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power to the beast. Satan deceives the whole world. The whole world is going to worship the beast as we're going to read here in a moment. And it says if you do that, you actually worship the dragon. You don't worship the beast, you worship Satan. Anyone who has any part to do with this beast that rises up from among the peoples will, by Bible definition, be worshiping Satan. Do you want to have anything to do with this beast? Flee from it. They worship the beast, saying, Who is like to the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Now notice, this beast is called a hymn. The great harlot of Revelation 17 and 18 is a she. And she consorts with, and is a harlot that actually tells the beast what to do. This beast is going to be great in power. And yet for some time, the harlot, the she-beast, tells this beast what to do. But we've already seen that she is destroyed, burned, killed by this beast who turns on her. If you destroy the greatest power on earth, do you not then have the acclaim and that power given to you because you were stronger and bigger? There was given to him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given to him to continue 42 months. So this beast is going to be given power, but only 42 months worth of power. It's going to be a huge beast that the whole world will wonder at. No one, they say, could make war with this beast, 
and yet it only lasts 42 months. Do you want to be a part of anything that only has three and a half years to live? And then we'll be destroyed. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. So, he blasphemes God, and Satan does that, and this beast has the mind of Satan. And his tabernacle. Who is the tabernacle of God here at the end? The temple? The tabernacle? That's us. So he blasphemes God. He blasphemes God's people. And them that dwell in heaven. The 24 elders, the angels, the Father and the Son. But it's already, God is in the first category. But every, everyone in the heavenly host he will blaspheme. Satan hates the angels, too, you know. Only one-third of them went with him. If he'd have gotten two-thirds, he figures maybe he could have taken over, and he's sure he could have if he'd had three-thirds of them. So he hates everything up there with a passion, and he hates everyone here who subscribes to and worships the true God, almighty creator of the universe. It was given to him, all right, changes the subject a little bit, but not really, because it's already said he blasphemes the tabernacle of God. So what does he do? It was given to him to make war with the saints. Now, he's already been cast down in chapter 12, so he can't make war against God anymore, and the angels, who does he make war with? The saints. Who are the saints? We're part of that. He doesn't care about the Methodists and the Baptists and the Catholics and the Hindus and the Buddhists and the Christian scientists. He already has them. He's only concerned about those who have the commandments and the testimony of God. Not only was it given to him to make war with the saints, it was given to him to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. All kindreds, and tongues, and nations. This is a worldwide organization we're speaking of here. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. The whole earth is going to worship Satan, who is behind this beast, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If you're not on Jesus Christ's list, you're going to worship the beast. It's that simple. No one else would stand up against this beast. Who's able to make war with it? No one will be able to. So you either acquiesce to it, or you become its absolute enemy. There's no in-between. There's no sitting on the fence. You're in or you're out. You will worship God and serve Him even to the death or not. Because this beast will want to destroy everyone on earth who does not worship him. And will seek them out, ferret them out, find them. I heard just this week that Joe Jr. sold a list of all the people who had ever been in the Worldwide Church of God to the Catholic Church, to the Jesuits. Don't know whether it's true or not, 
But it wouldn't surprise me. In fact, I've been expecting it and been preaching that for years. Because Daniel 11 says those who forsake the covenant of God will have intelligence with the beast. They will conspire together. That is what a conspiracy is. Pope has your name and address and phone number, probably, social security number. Of course, he's a weak old man about to fall over. Couldn't finish a mass last week. They had to have someone else do it. But they say he's the next to the last. And the next one coming is the last one. And this one looks like he could fall over any moment. And has looked that way for some time. But it's getting worse. So, verse 9, If any man have an ear, let him hear. It is time to listen. It is time to pay attention. It is not time to blithely go on living our lives, doing our job, living in this world, being entertained. It's time to listen. I believe this to be very close. He that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. So taking up guns and knives and swords isn't an answer either, is it? Joining your local militia won't help. Now, in contrast to that, here is the patience and the faith of the saints. We are to take on what armor? The armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, holiness. That's what we're to be doing. That is our only protection. And we might be physically killed. But that's, understand this, brethren, that's no big deal. He who seeks to save his life physically shall lose it, and he who seeks to save it eternally will save it. There is a long list of martyrs in Revelation 11 and other places in the Bible of people who died for God. People will die for homeland, United States Marines, Army, Coast Guard, whatever branch of the services. People will actually strap bombs on their waists and blow themselves up for the hope of a homeland in Palestine. People will sacrifice themselves for Napoleon, for Hitler, for Stalin, for Lenin, for many, many different leaders physically on this earth, they would give up their lives. Is it a big deal then to say, let's do it for God? It's easy to rally for a cause on this earth. There are militiamen around the country who say, the only way I'll give up my gun is when they pry it from my cold, dead finger. And some of them actually mean it. And some of them will fight until they do have cold, dead fingers. But things are going to happen in such a way that most of those people are going to lay down their arms and embrace the beast. We are basically the only ones on earth, the people of God, those called out of God, wherever those faithful might be in whatever organizations or whatever living rooms they're sitting in today. The only ones who have a chance to stand against the beast because we are the only ones who have the faith and the patience 
of the saints. To endure to the end, to be patient through all that is about to happen on this earth. Then there was another beast coming up. Let's not get to that quite yet. Let's go back for a moment to verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Now let's go over to chapter 17 in a section that I skipped over uh, when I was focus on, focusing on defining who the great whore is that sits upon many waters but rules the earth today. We'll skip over verse 6 a little bit again. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. So if America and Israel are this lady, she has the blood of saints on her hands. We're going to see that within our own land. Israelites killing Israelites. Physical Jews killing spiritual Jews, if you will. And the angel said to me, verse 7, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her or lifts her up because she sits across his lap, controls the situation, which has the seven heads and ten horns, the one we just read about in verse uh, chapter 13. The beast that you saw was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. So this is a beast that has been known in the past, and then there's a period of quiet, and then it shows up again. Now, we're going to get into Daniel eventually here, and we're going to see great world empires predicted there, told to Nebuchadnezzar that he was the head of gold, and that these other kingdoms would come. And there is where our understanding traditionally basically has stopped, because we identified the Babylonian Empire, the Medes and Persians, uh, the Macedonian or Greek Empire, and then the Roman Empire, and thought that what we saw at the end was just the last resurrection of the Roman Empire. But I think it can be demonstrated and shown clearly in Scripture that all those beasts are combined at the end, that they all exist at the end, that the end-time beast is a composite of all those empires, that those empires were only a type or an image of the beast that would come. And we'll get into that more. It isn't just the tenth horn of ten resurrections of the Roman Empire, in other words, but this beast coming out of the sea that John saw has all those heads and all those horns. Just as you can trace the church somewhat through the Middle Ages from the beginning of the church in what we call the Ephesian era with the apostles, down to Philadelphia and Laodicea today. And perhaps that is one fulfillment of it. But it can also be clearly shown in Scripture that all seven churches exist at the end. So if the churches have a playing through history, and the beast has a playing through history, then it is all combined, reconstructed, redone in a much bigger stage a much bigger picture than it ever was done historically. All the fireworks are turned loose here at the end. All of them. And we'll see that when we get back there. But let's talk, first of all, about this beast 
that was and then wasn't and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. This obvious, obviously is an end-time fulfillment because you can read in chapter 19 that Christ is going to take the beast and the false prophet and cast them into the lake of fire. It's right at the end. They go into perdition. They that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. They're going to be shocked. They're going to be awe in awe. They will stand back in great wonder. Their eyes will bug out. Their jaws will drop. They're going to wonder at this beast. Now, you and I shouldn't, should we? We should be expecting it. We should be able to see it rising out of the sea. John saw it rising out of the sea, out of the peoples of the world, out of the nations and kindreds and tongues. He saw it coming. A great conspiracy against God's people and a conspiracy to once and for all rule the entire earth. Led by, supported by, and given its power by Satan the dragon. Verse 9, and here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Well, what are seven mountains? It has been said in the past that uh, Rome is set on seven hills, and therefore this had to be the Catholic Church. I don't believe that. There's another beast in Revelation 13 that we will get into later on, which is a religious beast. This one is not. It is a military, uh, political beast. Uh, another beast adds the spiritual dimension to it. What are mountains? Isaiah 2. Isaiah 2. And here I want verses 2 and 3. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. And many people shall go and say, Come you, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So here we see God's government is a mountain. It is a high mountain. And those hills, smaller governments, will come before God. So a mountain is a government. What we see represented here are seven governments on which the woman sits. Now I'll give you a couple of theories here that I have heard, and I don't know if one of these might be it, or it might take a little different form. This is an area that is entirely speculative and will become perhaps less speculative as time goes on. Uh, one theory I've heard is that this is speaking of the United Nations. There have been, or there is now, Kofi Annan is the seventh Secretary General of the United Nations. Boutros Ghali was the sixth, and he was wounded politically and lost his position as Secretary General of the UN, replaced by Kofi Annan. Well, let's read what it says first of all about them. There are seven kings, five are fallen, are gone, and one is, 
and the other is not yet come, and when he comes he must continue a short space, and the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, then goes into perdition. So the last one, the eighth one, is the one that gets tossed into the lake of fire, into perdition in chapter 19. The theory that was advanced to me was that Boutros Ghali was the sixth, Kofi Annan will last a little while, he was the seventh, and then Boutros Ghali would come back, having been of the others, and comes back as the eighth. Was, is not, and yet comes back. And he is trying to make a political comeback now. So that's theory A. Theory B is that we have, uh, <laughs> name escapes me now, the eight industrial nations, the G8. Used to be G7, now it's G8. And the United States, obviously, from an economic standpoint, rules over the other seven. The United States calls the shots economically. So, does the United States ride the other seven nations? Of course, I think this ultimately is bigger than that because all the other nations must play ball with those eight. But if the eight, which rides over the others, is the United States, the United States is going to be destroyed. It has been said that Bill Clinton was wounded to death. His impeachment and everything that happened to him should be political death, total destruction. And yet now he is making noises and said recently in a speech, as I heard it at least, that as Secretary General of the United Nations, he would have far more power than he ever had as President of the United States. Now any Secretary General of the UN to this date has never had anything anywhere near the power of the United States President. So what Bill is saying is that if he becomes that Secretary of General, he expects the UN to be given far, far greater power than it has ever had in the past, and that he would have great power as that Secretary General. That's theory B. I'm sure there's theory C, D, E, and F. Another, oh, well, let's, let's go to theory C. Another one just popped into my head. And there are books written about this one, about Prince Charles. And now his name also is 666. I've heard that Bill Clinton's is 666, and the Charles's is. And everybody they come up with, they find a way to make it equal 666. Be that as it may. I've read books showing that Prince Charles has all the power of all the secret societies and actually is in charge of all of them. Whether that is true or not, I do not know. It's just what I've read. So there are people who think he's the beast. There are the people who think Juan Carlos or, or an Austrian is or uh, a German is. You know, there's, there's theory C, D, E, F, G, H, J, K, and not I, I hope. So take your pick. Time will tell. I don't particularly care to get into a great deal of theory on this uh, because there are a lot of theories out there as to who it might be, but I think it's going to become quite obvious when the time comes, and we shouldn't wonder at it 
because we know ahead of time it is coming. We know basically what form it will take, and so on. So who will be the man? We don't know. We shall see. Verse 12, And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet. So if it happens to be the United Nations, or whatever form it might take, it is basically a toothless organization for a time. Then it is given power for a while. Now, does Satan counterfeit virtually everything God does? Yes, he does. You're going to have a beast and a false prophet on Satan's side. You're going to have two witnesses on God's side. You're going to have power given to his witnesses. They don't have power at first. You read Revelation 11. They measure the temple. They work with the people of God and the ministry. And later on in the chapter, it says, And power was given those witnesses to go to the world. Likewise, in Satan's counterfeit, you have a beast which arises and is powerless until it too is given power. 42 months. So the parallel is as close as Satan can make it because he attempts to deceive not only the world but God's very elect. And if it were possible, even they would be deceived. We're going to see great lying signs and wonders. We'll get to that a little later on. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. One hour is symbolic in Bible language of a short period of time. We already read that it will be 42 months. That's a short period of time. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength to the beast. So whoever this beast is, all of these ten kingdoms, ten peoples, ten divisions, whatever the form they take, will give their strength to the beast. Now, what was our traditional belief in worldwide? It was that, and I'm going back to my first recognition of it or, or first hearing of it, back in the 50s when I was just a child that there would be ten nations that would arise in Europe with Germany as their head and the Assyrian would come and destroy Israel which would be America, Britain and the rest of the nations we recognize as Israel today. Now I do not doubt that the Assyrian will be involved but there are many many scriptures which show this to be a worldwide confederation not just a German, and ten nations with him. Psalm 83 points that out. Uh, there are others that I could go to, and perhaps will before we get done with this, to show that. But what has transpired since the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, when we taught that? We now have a United States of Europe, which Armstrong began proclaiming at least as early as 1945 when the United Nations was formed, and remember what I said two weeks ago. Uh, he said that was the worst thing that had ever happened, was the forming of the United Nations. I'm paraphrasing. It was words to that effect. The most, the most dangerous thing that has ever occurred, I think, is what he said. 
So he saw the danger in the United Nations, and yet he was proclaiming that there would be a ten-nation dictatorship in Europe led by Germany. Well, what has happened? Now we have 15 nations in the EU. Ten more are to be added this coming year. That's 25 already. Not 10. And I don't see any way you can carve those 15 or those 25 up into 10. They're all sovereign states. Now what do we see coming as a possible better understanding or a reality today. The United Nations plans divide the earth up into ten different segments with ten governors or rulers or kings over them. These people are part of the New World Order. There are several secret societies which can easily be identified today. There are even membership lists of people who are the Illuminati, that is, the illumined ones. And I explained that we are truly the ones walking in light. We are the illumined ones. They are not. They are in darkness. But they think they have light. There is the Council on Foreign Relations. You can get a list of people who are in that, many of them prominent Americans. There are the Jesuits, who some people believe are the only real power. There is Freemasonry, which is tied in with the Jesuits, and which is a secret society all its own. There's the Skull and Bones, of which President George W. Bush and his father were members of at Yale, uh, dedicated to ruling the world their way. There's Mikhail Gorbachev in San Francisco, who was a New World Order man. There are many, many secret societies on this earth today. Now, which one of them will rule? Which one of them will take precedence? The EU is another conspiracy that has been put together to rule the world, the United States of Europe. Who will predominate? Who will be involved? The answer to that is all of them. We're going to read in Daniel 2 that it is a kingdom, a power, that is a mixture of iron and miry clay. Haven't we already read today that all people who are not on Jesus Christ's short list of candidates for his kingdom, the 144,000, will worship the beast? All. Therefore, all these secret societies are going to give their strength, their uh, advice, their counsel, their membership lists. Every bit of influence they have, they're going to give to the beast, every one of them. The Assyrian is only one in this great confederacy. Those of you of German descent can feel a little bit of the pressure come off your back now. If you're indeed of German descent, you may be Israelite and just thought you were German. Just because you had a German name and spoke the German language, or your forebears did, does not necessarily make you a German or an Assyrian. Pockets of people all over Germany moved here when this country was opened, and they may have been Israelites who had not 
finished making the transition across Europe to where God ultimately wanted them to be. And though they may have spoken German or Austrian or Swiss or Scottish or whatever, they're here today as Israelites in many cases. Not all, perhaps, but many, many who came early are. Many who've come later are the melting pot of Gentiles that have come into America and Britain and other nations of Israel. Where was I headed now? All these peoples, all these secret societies are going to give their power to this one beast. And this new world order, which is now commonly spoken of, you could say new world order back in the 50s and 60s, and that there were a conspiracy of these secret societies to rule the world, and you got poo-pooed. But there were books around even then. And there is a plethora of them now who will tell you all about this. And not only will they tell you about it, a lot of it is the truth. Because these secret societies do exist. Some of you were probably a Mason. I doubt if any of us were high enough in this world society to be a skull and bones or a Rhodes Scholar because Cecil Rhodes developed that scholarship fund in South Africa to promote the New World Order. And if you go to the Boer, uh, mu not museum, but uh, their, their thing they have there to tell you about the Boers, there are Masonic symbols, Babylonian symbols all over it, just as there are all over the American dollar bill. They have all been interconnected behind the scenes. And I don't know what degree all of them mix and talk with each other today, but I do know from what we're reading here that they're all going to give their power to the beast. Whether that beast turns out to be Bill Clinton, Prince Charles, uh, some German to be named later, or an Austrian, remains to be seen. Or who was it? Boutros Ghali. I don't know. So I'm not going to try to tell you for sure who it is. Some books will tell you it's this guy. Another book will tell you it's that guy. I don't know. Time will tell. But we know it's going to happen. And we should not be uh, standing in awe of that beast. Why would we have awe toward Satan? Now, he has great power, and we need to respect that there is great power there. But we worship the eternal God of all creation. There is real power. His kingdom is going to last forever and ever. Satan's is going to last 42 months and be destroyed. Oh, he'll be turned loose a short while at the end of the millennium, but essentially his power is going to be truncated at the time Christ returns. 42 months after power is given to these nations, to these peoples, to these kings. It's a strange thing that if you look at these scriptures where God says that Israel basically, the whole world is going to look with awe and admiration at it and say, you're saving the world. Satan's counterfeit will look like it's going to save the world, and yet Satan's plan behind it is to destroy the world. You look at some of these scriptures and it appears God's plan is to destroy mankind and yet his real plan is to save the world through the millennium and the great white throne judgment. So each of these things is just the opposite of the way it appears. 
Most people don't understand the plan of God and the order of the resurrections as we do. Therefore, it appears to them that Satan's winning the battle. God is losing. So they have to get out there and convert people. But they're wrong. God is going to save the world in his time and in his way and according to his plan. We'll read the first part of that plan next week. All right, let's go on. I have no doubt that there will be an Assyrian involved, and the United States of Europe will be probably front and center in the formation of this beast. It may be that it is entirely centered in Europe, because when you read of the different conspiracies of bankers and industrialists and businessmen and so on, politicians, it all goes back to its roots in Europe. The American bankers who are involved in all of this have their roots in Europe as well. So that beast in Europe, in Belgium, which is ruled over basically by Germany, may be the center of this. I think that's why the euro is probably being set up. The euro was weaker than the dollar when it was introduced. It is now stronger than the dollar. It is only a matter of time until people begin to realize their money is safer in the euro than in the dollar. And when the capital flees this country, the crash has to come if something else doesn't set it off first. But that is the only system I see on the stage today that has anything that could possibly replace the dollar, okay? And he who has the money rules. That's the golden rule. He who has the gold rules. Most of the gold that was in America is now in Europe. And they can, when the dollar falls and the whole world's economy is crippled and they all are crying because America is gone, that which made all the nations rich, they'll be standing far off weeping and wailing and crying, we are destroyed. The economy is gone. And someone in probably Europe is going to rise up and say, wait a minute, we still have the euro. Hey, look over here. We got the euro. Everything's going to be fine. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Well, you destroyed America. You must be great. And you have the euro. You must be double great. They'll all fall in line and worship the beast. I don't think you can discount Europe. I think Mr. Armstrong was absolutely right. And I would not be surprised if it is an Assyrian who sits astride the whole thing. Now, it could be someone else. But the power base, I see it, is coming from Europe, because that's where the euro is. And you can't use the yen, and you can't use the lira. You can't use any other currency. That's the only one that exists. And even the euro may be supplanted by what they already call the beast in Belgium, that is, that great computer which controls all this. They call it the beast. Now, I don't think Christ is going to take a computer and throw it in the lake of fire, but it is symbolic of the power of the man, whoever the man is. We can only speculate. 
to the exact final form. But I, I believe now that what we're looking at is not just ten nations, ten sovereign states in Europe who give their power to Germany, but I think we're looking at a whole world which is divided into ten sections, and a crown and a king is put over each one. And perhaps they are ruled over by seven governments who control industry, who control the economy, except that one, the eighth, will be destroyed, perhaps the United States. That horn eventually is broken, is it not? Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me back up on that. That beast, whoever he is, the, the one that leads this, is going to end up being thrown by Christ in the lake of fire. He, he exists until the end. Almost said that wrong. Okay, verse 13. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength to the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. The saints will be with Christ. The 144,000, the bride of Christ, will be with him when he comes to put the beast down. So then he explains a little bit. He said to me, The waters which you saw where the whore sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So the great whore is sitting atop all the peoples. And the ten horns which you saw upon the beast, ten kings with ten crowns, these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Now that coincides with multitudes of prophecies which indicate that America and Israel are going to be destroyed, one-third by famine and pestilence, one-third by the sword, one-third taken into captivity, and a sword will come after them. All fits that. Because this beast will destroy the harlot that made the world rich. For God has put in their hearts to fulfill his will, God uses the Gentiles to punish Israel. He always has, has he not? Israel now has bowed down to and taken on the yoke of Babylon. America and the nations of Europe worship Satan. Some call themselves a Christian nation or people, but they do not follow God's truth. The truth will set you free. The Sabbath is still a sign between God and his people. God has decreed that Israel is going to die for the most part. Perhaps 10%, a small 10%, will survive for the millennium. It clearly be shown. Why? Because of our idolatry, because of our harlotry, our chasing after false gods of all kinds of idols, both spiritual and economic and material, any kind of God you want to name, any kind of idol we set ourselves up as, because we are our own greatest idol. We put our comfort, our health, our desires so often ahead of God. And any time we put ourselves ahead of God, we have created 
an idol unto ourselves. And even we, who are of the like, still practice a certain amount of idolatry. And it is that very idolatry which has caused God to scatter us where we are scattered today. What has happened to the church, and is still happening to the church, and will continue to happen to the church, is about to come upon all the nations physically of Israel. The decimation that you have seen and witnessed in the last 20 years on a spiritual level is about to happen on a physical level. The people you and I see on the streets are going to fall in the streets dead of famine and pestilence physically, dead of a sword physically, and taken physically into captivity just as we have been destroyed by famine and pestilence on a spiritual level, by a spiritual sword which has killed many, and who have been taken back into the captivity of this world and now see no way out of it. We are told, come out of Babylon, that you be not partakers of her sins and her plagues. It is only those who are called and faithful, are called and chosen and faithful, who will return with Jesus Christ. For God has put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. The woman is going to be destroyed. I believe that to be America and the nations of Israel. And the woman which you saw is that great city, a great people. The city represents a nation, a people, just as Babylon represented Chaldea. Washington and New York represent the United States to the world. One a political and military power, the other a financial power. The woman which you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. And the kings of the earth are going to rise up and destroy her. And then they will have power for 42 months. See what time is it? Let's go back a little bit to Daniel 2 and see this backed up. I'll, I'll get to the other beast of Revelation later on because it does tie in with this, but we need to understand how this ties together with the book of Daniel because Daniel is a book that was sealed until the end. In other words, Protestant commentators and people of God, for that matter, can examine history, okay? And we can see that the world-ruling empires, or the world that then was, that followed Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon occurred in order. That's not hard to see, and that's what they all look at. But is that all the story? Is that the end of it, or is there more? Is it something that occurs at the end? In other words, was Daniel sealed or was Daniel not sealed? And God says Daniel was sealed till the end and could not be understood until the time of the end. Okay? That means somebody 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 5, 3, 200 years ago 
could not have understood the book of Daniel. It is only at the end that Daniel can be understood. Therefore, even though you might be able to follow those world-ruling empires as physical empires through history, that is not the whole story. It is only a type of what will happen at the end because the real understanding of what those empires represent is not opened until the end. That which is simply a fact of history is not the reality in which you and I live today. There has to be a greater understanding of those kingdoms and what they mean. Daniel 2. The second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep broke from him. So then he calls all of his people, we don't need to rehearse that, we went through it around last feast, to try to explain what this was all about. And he was going to destroy all the wise men, the sorcerers, the magicians, and so on. Verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and a Abednego, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning the secrets. When you and I come to really comprehend what is about to happen at the end, what are we going to do? If we do the right thing, we'll go to the God of heaven and earth and pray. We'll pray that we be accounted worthy to escape all these things that are coming, we know they're coming against the church. They're not just coming against anybody. Yeah, they're going to destroy the world, basically, because that is what God has put in their minds to do. But their real target is the people of God. So God commissioned them that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. We're faced with the Babylonian society all around us, and in the book of Revelation, written strictly to the end-time church, it says, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins and her plagues. I do not want to go through the plagues that God has pronounced on this country. I want to escape that, if at all possible. On the other hand, if I need to give my life physically to encourage, to strengthen, to inspire others, then that's fine, too. I've committed myself to that. I do not belong to me, I belong to God. My only problem at the moment is yielding to God, because I have committed myself when I was baptized that I was no longer mine but his. And whether, as Paul said, I live or die, I live or die to the eternal. We were supposed to have counted that cost before we ever went under the water. Now, were we lying? or not. The truth will out. We were sincere and committed, or we were lying. Now, if you were lying, there is yet time to repent of the lie and commit yourself entirely to God. Daniel Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were committed. They would not bow down and worship the beast or the image of the beast. 
Then was the secret revealed to Daniel in the night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Was he tested? Was he tried? Was he in fear that he would die with the rest? He was there. What else could he expect? Once he had shown his faithfulness, God sent an answer. God tests us and tries us before he sends us the answers. He always has and always will. Are we being tested and tried today? I think we are. God is trying to find out, out of those who have been called, whom he can choose and who will be faithful. They will return with Christ. Then Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. I think it can be shown that we'll go back to a 360-day year, and this is an end-time book. That will be accomplished here at the end. God does change the times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He reveals the deep and secret things. Who did he reveal them to? Daniel, his man, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his people. Didn't let the Babylonians know. He revealed it to his people. Who will he reveal it to at this end? His people. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you don't know who Israel is, if you don't know who the church is, you cannot understand these end-time prophecies. God will not open it to them. Now, they see the beasts, and they see the new world order, and they can see all that, but if they don't know who the true church is, they don't have anything to tie it to, do they? They don't even know they're deceived. They don't even know what they worship. The Jews thought. They really believed, brethren. The Jews in Jesus' time really believed they worshipped the God of creation. And Christ had news for them. He said, you worship, you know not what. Inferring that they were worshipping Satan when they thought they were worshipping God. His servant you are to whom you obey. Most people today who claim to be Christian do not obey. They don't even believe in obedience. They believe the law is done away. They believe it's grace only. That all they have to do is give their life to the Lord, find Jesus wherever he was lost, and they're saved. It's pathetic. It's pitiful. They are so deceived and do not know it. Now, they're sincere. They're absolutely sincere in what they believe. But they're sincerely wrong. But God has done that on purpose, hasn't he? Doesn't Romans 11 say he has concluded them in unbelief that he might save them in the long run, that all Israel shall be saved? So the vast majority of those people out there will be saved. We understand that. None of the religions of this world understand that. They don't understand the order of the resurrection. They don't understand God's plan. They don't have God's holy days. They cannot understand his plan. Therefore, if you don't know that, you cannot understand the end-time prophecies. You can watch beasts arising. You can watch men. And you can try to put it together. 
but you're not going to get the whole picture. And what have you got when you've got half a picture? Which end of the elephant are you looking at? Do you know what an elephant looks like if you see half an elephant? Well, not really. They may can see the beast coming, but they don't see God's side of it. And there were only a few in Daniel's day who did. And when these people were released, when Babylon was destroyed, and the Medes and Persians came in, only a small number of them went back to Jerusalem. Most of them stayed in Babylon. Is there a pattern here? Yes, there is. When God delivers his people, most will not answer. Most will not respond. Only a small remnant, a little less than 10% of God's own called ones are going to respond to the two witnesses. The rest will go into the tribulation with their physical Israelite brothers and sisters. Sad but true. And yet on the other hand, before it's all done, when the resurrections have all played themselves out, God is going to save most of them. They just won't be in the first resurrection. They won't be the bride of Christ. They will be children of the Son and the bride. He reveals the deep and secret things, verse 22. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. If we dwell with him, then we also are in the light, as Christ explained over and over in the New Testament. Daniel said in verse 28, There is a God in heaven that reveals secrets and makes known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. By no stretch of the imagination was the Medo-Persian empire the latter days. By no stretch was the Macedonian or Greek empire the latter days. By no stretch was the Roman Empire the latter days. They were the beginning of what will be the beast at the end. A beast that was, and yet is not for a while, and then comes into full bloom at the end. When you read about these beasts back here, uh, where is it? I think chapter 10 probably is where I want to go. Yeah. The first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed, and he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Now, this is not Nebuchadnezzar's dream, notice. This is Daniel's dream. God's going to show Daniel something. Daniel spoke and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea. That ties in directly with Revelation 13 stood on the sands of the sea, and saw these coming on the sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, different one from another. First was like a lion, and had the eagle's wings. I beheld the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up upon the earth, and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second like a bear. And this has been shown to be Babylon, and then uh, the Medes and Persians, then the Macedonian Empire, and finally then uh, the Roman Empire. And I think that is true. I think the end time beast, though, 
as shown in Revelation, is a composite of all these nations and peoples and kings. Because these are kingdoms that did exist. I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it, shown to be Alexander the Great. He died, and then four generals took over. You know the historical story there. And this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth, it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now you'll notice, you'll remember from Revelation 13 that it mentioned the characteristics of the lion, the bear, and the leopard, but it doesn't describe another animal there either. It only says it was given its power and authority by the dragon, by Satan. And here, it does not give a characteristic of this beast, this fourth beast, either. But it tells that it is dreadful and terrible and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue. This is a beast which had more power than all the others before it. It destroys everything in its path. And not, not only does it destroy that, it stomps the little pieces as well. Everything before it. And it had ten horns. Is there any doubt that this ties in with the book of Revelation chapter 13? I don't see how there could be in Revelation 17. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now, they were eyes like the eyes of men, but empowered by Satan the devil. Satan inhabits people and speaks through their mouth and through their eyes. Its power is given to it by Satan the dragon. So these ten are going to have a little horn come up among them, which is higher than the ten. It will rule over the ten. In other words, this new world order, this composite beast of all these secret societies and peoples and nations and kindreds and tongues is going to arise, it's going to be probably set up, these kings will be put in place, and you can see them, and then someone is going to come along who takes charge, who rules over the other ten who will be a man, will have the eyes of a man speaking great things. And is this something that happened in the days of Christ or before? No. I beheld till the thrones were cast down. The thrones of these ten and this eleventh one were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow. And the hair of his head like the pure wool, his throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered to him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. And the beast was slain, his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. This is something that happens at the end. All ten horns, and the eleventh horn that rises up, are going to be destroyed before Christ. 
So this isn't something that just was played out in history, though it may very well have been. And I understand about the Roman Empire and how three little horns were plucked up and all the traditional explanation we had of that. And indeed, I believe that that was a type of this beast that is at the end. But this beast is a composite of all of those. It names all the beasts here, and then in the book of Revelation, it says they have the same characteristics, and they all exist at the end, the book of Revelation being an end-time book. And this is talking about the latter days. All right, let's go on down to uh, verse 17. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom. So the four beasts are there, and the, and the saints take the kingdom from them, and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I would know, Daniel says, the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, his nails of brass, which devoured broken pieces and stamped the residue with his feet, and of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. He was stronger than they and could rule over them. All right, notice, I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them for how long? Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. So this horn, ruling over ten, will rule them and will make war against the saints until the Ancient of Days comes. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. The times of the Gentiles. The forty-two months. The power is given to this beast. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. Well, now, if this last one is going to be there until Christ returns and throws him into perdition, until the Ancient of Days comes and sits in judgment with the saints, and he uh, puts down three, they can't be something that was way back in the past, can they? There may have been a partial fulfillment or a type in the past, but this has to be right at the end, because he, this individual, subdues three of these ten. And he shall be, speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of times, that is three and a half years, or 42 months, or 1260 days, if you please, based upon a 360-day year. So this is all happening at the end. All these beasts that were represented by those kingdoms of the earth down through history are going to come up as one great final resurrection of all these Gentile kingdoms who will come against the Israel of God. They will have already destroyed the woman. They will have destroyed physical Israel. At the beginning of all this, 
They'll hate the woman and burn her with fire. Then who does he come after? The saints of the Most High. It doesn't say anything about physical Israel here. It says something about the saints. He's coming after the church. <coughs> the stage is being set for the whole world against the church. The two witnesses will be two voices against the whole world. Only those in a place of safety, as we shall see, will be protected. The rest will be at the mercy of the beast, and the beast has no mercy. And they will wear out the saints and overpower the saints. Zechariah tells us some of the saints will repent, be tried in the fire, and come out white. This is what is shaping up. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. We'll cover some more, but uh, we're looking for a beast that is going to be more fearsome, more awesome than anything that has ever happened in history. A lot of people like to study history. They like to read about the Babylonian Empire and the Medes and the Persians. Maybe they better read prophecy instead. Because what is about to happen is going to be a composite of and worse than any of those historical things ever were. Maybe we need a certain amount of history to understand how mean and how brutal those past beasts were in order to begin to get a comprehension of an, uh, and an understanding of a beast that will ultimately destroy most of mankind. Only those saved out are those who are called and chosen and faithful, and they will inherit heaven.